Hi, it's Dom here, pastor at Assemble Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you find what you're looking for today and that you are challenged, inspired, and equipped to live out the life that God has for you. Enjoy the message today. Great stuff. Who's excited to open the word this morning? Yeah? Well, we are in John chapter 12. Uh, we're, uh, we're continuing our uh, look into the Gospel of John, our study on John. And, uh, and I, I'm really enjoying it. I've been really enjoying it so far. So far, so good, I would say. Would you agree? Yeah, good. Good. Uh, so if you, want to open your, if you want to open your Bibles, uh, we're in John chapter, uh, chapter 12. And I'm just going to pray uh, as we do that. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that you've given it to us, uh, that we have uh, in, this, in this 66 book uh, library of love, uh, we have everything we need to know of you, uh, to understand uh, more of you uh, and to get closer to you. And so Lord, as we open your word this morning, uh, that you've written over centuries uh, through, through the pens of different people, uh, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would work, uh, would be at work in this place uh, in conjunction with the words already written that we would know more of you this morning and that we would understand more of you this morning. Amen. Amen. So, uh, so we're in John, and uh, and many of you will know if you've uh, if you've been studying along, if you've been here every uh, every week, uh, that in our study in John. What we're really doing is we're focusing on this question, okay? This question that is, who is Jesus, yeah? Who is Jesus? That's the question that the Gospel of John uh, seeks to answer. And, uh, and John knows his answer. He knows the answer to the question of who is Jesus. And so what he's doing is he's trying to show us. He's trying to inform us as the reader, this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. And, uh, and, and uh, above, uh, sorry, throughout this, uh, this experience, throughout this study so far, we've seen many different uh, identities that Jesus has, haven't we? We've seen Jesus as a storyteller. We've seen Jesus as a, a lame healer. We've seen uh, Jesus as a miracle worker. We've seen Jesus as a life restorer. We've seen Jesus as a multitude feeder. We've seen all these different aspects of Jesus. We've seen Jesus as an eye opener. And, uh, and it's great to explore and to see uh, these different identities, these different um, uh, uh, um, offices, if you like, that Jesus holds. And, uh, and in John chapter 12, we see three, uh, three distinct uh, or three different offices, right? That's office, as in the office that Jesus holds. Uh, it's kind of like a formal biblical expression. That's the office. Anyway, uh, we see three identities or three offices uh, that Jesus holds quite distinctly, I would say. And, uh, and I believe that God has drawn us to, uh, to these uh, distinct offices uh, this, uh, in this chapter uh, for this week as we've been studying. Is that good? Would you like to know what they are? Great. You'll find out as we go. Here we go. Uh, let's start in John chapter 12. And verses 1 to 3. It says this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That was in chapter 11. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet 
with her hair. Now, there are around 450, did you know, different prophecies uh, in the Old Testament that point to uh, the Messiah coming, that point to uh, uh, this, uh, this Messiah that, that the Jews, that God's people were expecting, uh, that were fulfilled by Jesus. For around 450 or so of them. And, uh, and a lot of these prophecies were outside of Jesus' control, uh, such as where he would be born, uh, or what family he would be born to, uh, or where, uh, uh, sort of uh, w- w- the details around his birth. Uh, these prophecies talk about uh, what he would do, uh, where he would go. Uh, they talk about his family, and some of these prophecies we've already seen fulfilled, uh, but, but even more of these prophecies we will actually see fulfilled uh, later on in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but here, John 12 reveals and alludes uh, to a number of prophecies, three, uh, about who Jesus is. And I want to share those with you because I'm pretty excited by this. Now, you have to bear with me. You have to bear with me. But I promise you, it's going to be good. Is that all right? Yeah? So, uh, so the first prophecy, the first office that we see revealed in John 12 is this. It is the kingship of Jesus. Is the kingship of Jesus. Now, to start with, Israel didn't have a king. Uh, all the other nations around at the time, they had a king. And Israel, God's people, they wanted a king. See, they had prophets and they had priests, but they had no king. They had no king. And they cried out to God for a king. And we read in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we read this. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint as a king to leaders such as the other nations have. Further on uh, in in 1 Samuel uh, um, from chapter 8 verse 7, we read this. And the Lord told him, that Samuel, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me, as God, as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. See, God knew that Israel, that his people, having a human king would be a disaster. He knew that it wasn't going to go well. And that's true. That's what happened. But God gave the people what they asked for anyway. And we read in, uh, in chapter 8, the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel uh, said, uh, sorry, I'm not supposed to be reading that bit. That's, the, uh, that's part B of the verse. Just got the whole verse here. Um, but, uh, but after Saul was made king, Saul was the first king of Israel, and after Saul was made king, uh, it went pretty badly uh, to start with, and then David was made king, and it went slightly better, then it went badly, uh, and, and the whole thing was a bit of a disaster, um, and uh, during the time when David was uh, was king, or, or just before, uh, just after, sorry, David was anointed king in 2 Samuel, uh, that's the book after 1 Samuel, <laughs> uh, we, uh, we read this. This is the Lord speaking now. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. 
and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God lays out this prophecy that there will be a kingdom with a king whose throne endures forever. Now God at this point, he's, he's talking to David, but he's, he's thinking way past David. He's thinking way, way beyond, uh, beyond David. God is prophesying Jesus as king in 2 Samuel. And the kind of king that God uh, is talking about is different to a human king. It's different to the kind of king that Saul was and the kind of king uh, that David was. This is an everlasting king over all the world. And we know that from Daniel chapter 7. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like the Son of Man. Remember that phrase, that expression? That's one that we've come across several times in, uh, in John so far. It's what Jesus refers to himself as. Uh, Jesus is quoting Daniel, this scripture that we're reading now, when he declares himself that he is the Son of Man. Uh, but here we go. Um, there will be uh, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. That's God. And was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Listen to this. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. This is the king that is prophesied in the Old Testament. Not just a king over Israel, not just a king over a geographical area, but a king over all the world. A king over all the world. This is prophesied in the Old Testament and, uh, and we see it uh, revealed in John chapter 12 as we'll get on to. The second identity though, the second office that Jesus holds uh, that we see in John chapter 12 is Jesus as prophet. Jesus as prophet. And this is prophesied again in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 18 verse 15, Moses says this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. You might say, okay, well, that's great. What's a prophet? What's a prophet? Simply this, a prophet. A prophet is a person who speaks God's truths. They speak uh, for and on behalf of God. There are many prophets throughout the Old uh, Testament and God speaks to them and he shares insight with them for them to relay uh, onto the people. Prophecy is a spiritual gift. There are many people in our church that move powerfully in the area of prophecy. It's a gift that comes from God. And prophets are sometimes called seers. You might have heard that expression before or you might not. Because they see or they have, uh, they have significant uh, insight spiritually uh, into something that God is showing them. But, uh, but here's the thing. Uh, a prophet is, is not a fortune teller, right? A prophet is not a, a fortune teller. They don't necessarily uh, see or predict the future, although sometimes uh, they do. Sometimes in rare situations, God might show somebody uh, an element or an aspect of what is to come in a particular situation. But prophecy is more about speaking uh, than it is about, uh, than it is about uh, uh, sort of uh, telling the future. Uh, the Bible says that there's power in the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah? That God spoke the world into existence through words. And in a similar way, God's prophets speak into situations and circumstances, the voice of God. The voice of God. And Jesus is prophesied to be a prophet from God. The one who speaks uh, the Lord's words. Is that good? 
Yeah? So we've seen that there's been a king prophesied. We've seen that there's been a, uh, a prophet prophesied. The third identity, the third office uh, of Jesus that we see in John 12 revealed is Jesus as priest. Jesus as priest. The Messiah was, pro- was prophesied to be a priest. Um, we see this in Psalm, uh, Psalm 110, where we read this, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And later on in the epistles written by Paul and Timothy, we can see further explanation of Jesus as priest. In 1 Timothy, we read, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, Christ Jesus. So you might be saying, well, what's a priest? What's a priest? And a priest is a, is a person or, or a human, specifically, who stands in the gap between God and humanity. They are man's connection to God, just as in the same way the prophet is God's voice into man. In the Old Testament, when the presence of God used to be confined to a geographical uh, space, uh, okay, in, uh, in the early days, there was a tent called the tabernacle, uh, the tent of meeting. And, uh, and within the tent, within the, uh, the, the tabernacle, there was an area inside right in the very center. It was called the Holy of Holies. It's where the Ark of the Lord was. was. Right? The presence of God on earth, uh, represented by the Ark of the Covenant, was kept in the Holy of Holies and in this tabernacle later on. When the temple was built, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant was kept uh, in the temple, still called the Holy of Holies, uh, but, uh, but this time made out of uh, bricks and what have you. This is the presence of God on earth and only the selected high priest was able to enter into the presence of God, into the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, once per year. Right, and uh, and at that time he would make atonement uh, for the sins of God's people. He would he would make atonement. That means that he would uh, he would satisfy the sins of God's people once a year by the high priest. In Hebrews two, we read this: for this reason, he had to be like them. Listen, fully human in every way, in order that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, right? So we're seeing, and I've gone through it fairly quickly, I I appreciate that, Uh, but you can get the podcast and listen to it on half speed. Uh, we've gone through quite quickly uh, three areas or three offices um, in the Old Testament that were prophesied and, and, and predicted and that were told were going to happen of this coming Messiah, prophet, priest, and king. And you might say, well, okay, that's great, Don, prophet, priest, and king. They were all uh, individually prophesied at various points throughout the Old Testament. But, but, but what are you saying about Jesus? What's that got to do with Jesus? I don't understand that. I don't see that in John 12. Prophet, priest, and king, all fulfilled in one person in Christ Jesus. There's an incredibly powerful image of this, right? an incredibly powerful image of prophet, priest, and king uh, being fulfilled in one person. And uh, we see it at the birth of Jesus. We see it at the birth of Jesus, and we talk around about this at Christmas. And uh, it's not Christmas, as you'll know, uh, but, uh, but we're going to talk about it anyway. The gifts that were brought to the baby Jesus uh, by the Magi, 
were these. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, were they not? Do you remember that? Yeah? Everyone's done the nativity? Yeah? Good. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, strange gifts for a newborn. Are they not? Yes, they are. Uh, until you realise that they're not random. They're not in any way random. Gold uh, representing the royalty of a king. Frankincense representing the high priest of God because frankincense was used in the temple of God by the high priest. And myrrh representing the prophet of God. And oil used to anoint prophets. Myrrh also used in, uh, in burial and embalming uh, because Jesus would be buried. Because he would atone for the sins just as, uh, just as the uh, high priest does. Is that good? We see, this, we see this image of prophet, priest, and king at the birth of Jesus, all drawn together. And that's very interesting, you might say, but Dom, we're in John chapter 12. That's where my Bible's open to. And so what's the relevance? Well, in John chapter 12, I believe John reveals these cornerstones of office that Jesus holds. And the first glimpse is in this passage that we've already read. Can I read it again? Yeah? From verse 1 then it says this, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his tears with her hair. Martha served, Lazarus reclined, and Mary worshipped. Martha served because it is the only appropriate response in the presence of Jesus the King. Lazarus reclined, ready to listen to what Jesus has to say, because his words are the words of God, Jesus the prophet. And Mary worshipped because she knew she was in the presence of one connected to the Father, Jesus the priest. You know, sometimes, sometimes when uh, when I'm sort of uh, when I'm preaching, I like to use this this phrase. I was challenged this week, right? You heard that? You heard me say that before? Yeah. I was challenged this week, and that's not untrue. I'm challenged most weeks. Weeks are challenging, <laughs> and the Bible does challenge us, right? And the Bible does encourage us. But did you know that the Bible also instructs us? The Bible also instructs us. And uh, when I read John 12, I am challenged, absolutely. But more than challenged, I'm instructed. I'm convicted, in fact. What does that mean? It means that I feel like God is directly, is speaking directly to me to say, this is what you should be doing. And I'd suggest that if you're in this place today and you are a Christian, you accept what the Bible says about Jesus, you accept uh, that he is prophet, priest, and king, then may I be as bold as to suggest that you are being instructed as well? These are the appropriate responses to Jesus. To serve, as Martha did. To acknowledge that he is the king. In Revelation we read this, They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. If he is the king, church, that makes us his subjects. That makes us his subjects. Now, we don't live in a feudalistic society anymore. Thank the Lord. Now, I'm a monarchy supporter, right? I don't know if that'll get me in any trouble. I don't really know what the vibe is, what the temperature is. Uh, but, uh, but here's the thing. Our monarchy isn't really representative of what the Bible means when it talks about king. 
right? We lose something of the phrase and the understanding of what a king is because we don't really know, we don't really understand what it means to have an earthly king. And so how can our understanding of a divine and heavenly king be any better? But he is a king and we are his subjects and subjects serve. They serve the king. The terminology that that we're using here is not particularly friendly, is it? It's not particularly popular in 2022 because we prefer the whole, you know, I'll do me and you do you type type vibe, don't we? Uh, But the fact remains that Jesus is our king and we are called to serve him. And so the challenge, the encouragement is, are you serving the king? Are you serving the king? What does it look like to serve the king? Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 25 um, that has a king in it. I love this parable. Uh, And uh, an, an excerpt of it says this. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did, For one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. This is what serving the king looks like. Serving others. Not patronizing others, but serving others. Serving others on the streets of Newark. Clothing, feeding, inviting, looking after. Or perhaps a bit closer to home as well. Perhaps here, you know, if you're in this church, if you call this church your home, if you believe that this church represents the bride of Christ uh, here on earth, if you believe that this church uh, is, is doing its best to outwork the mission of Jesus, if you believe that this church is, 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 a, is an, an ecclesia, a collection of God's people on earth doing the best that they can with the resource and the, uh, and the mission that they have, making his name high, making uh, disciples, teaching his word and his ways, then you can serve that too. You can serve that too. Serving church is serving Jesus. Although I don't hear what I'm not saying. Serving the church in, in, in the name of Jesus, out of respect and on honour of the king, is serving Jesus. The second uh, uh, response that we see is to recline, as Lazarus did. To acknowledge that he is prophet that he is the one who speaks the words of God how do we listen to Jesus now because he isn't physically here is he we can't recline around a table with him no we can't but he still speaks he still speaks did you know uh, that all the words that are written in your bible that are in red these are the words of Jesus the words that Jesus actually spoke The words that Jesus actually spoke. And so are you listening? Are you listening? Are you reading your Bible? Are you hearing from God into situations and circumstances? Are you hearing what God has to say, what Jesus has to say about how we are to to go about life, about how we are to respond to situations and circumstances? Are you hearing from God into situations? Because you need to balance that up. You know, we, we, we get bombarded, don't we, with the news and with social media and all this stuff. And some of it's great and most of it's not. But we need to balance that up with what the word of God is saying, with what the red letters are saying. The Bible was written to each one of us. It's not just a book that's, uh, that was written to be read by a pastor on a Sunday. It's a book to be read by every person all of the time. 
Did you know that? In fact, one of the main purposes of, of, this, uh, of this series in John that we're doing is to try and encourage all of us as the church to read the Bible, to read the Bible, to get engaged in the word of the Lord. And we do this in a, in, in, in a book series uh, where we're just going through one book, chapter by chapter, week after week. The reason for that is because it's easy, because it's really, really easy. Because at any point we know what chapter we're in, don't we? Yeah, because it's, it's numbers. It's, did you know it's, it's counting? Yeah, after chapter one, there's two. And then after two, there's three. And then after three, there's four. And so it's really easy for us all uh, to know where we are uh, and, and where we're opening our Bibles this week. And I believe that every single person in the church can find some time between Sunday and Sunday to open the word of the Lord and to listen. Yeah? It's good for us to hear the word of the Lord, to recline, to enjoy the presence of Jesus, to hear from the prophet, the one speaking in to our lives. And then finally, the act of worship. The response of worship, to worship as Mary did, and it's already been mentioned here this morning already, which I find fascinating. Don't you find that fascinating? Yeah? Of all the scriptures, of all the Bible, uh, and, uh, and I think it, was it Richard? When we, when we were doing the offering, mentioned Mary? Or was it Sue? Sue. Mary was mentioned anyway. Uh, and uh, anyway, um, but we see this act, Mary's act of worship was astounding because it was so sacrificial. It was so sacrificial. Now, a lot of scholars suggest that Mary in this story is Mary uh, Magdalene, the prostitute. And it could be, or it might not be, that's not definitive. But if it is, then what I'm about to say makes this even more sacrificial when you consider um, her trade. See, Mary cracks open this jar of really expensive perfume. And she uses it to wash the feet of Jesus. John makes a point of telling us how expensive this perfume is. It is it's worth roughly one entire year's salary. One entire year's salary just cracked open and used to wash the feet of Jesus. It's all spent in one act. But more than that, she uses her hair to wash the feet. Now, a woman's hair, particularly uh, in this time period, was a woman's pride and joy. It was her beauty. A woman was, uh, was to cover up her hair while out in public because it was seen as really very private, very beautiful. You know, some cultures in the world today, they still have this practice where a woman's hair is, is covered up. That Mary would choose to spend a year's salary and, and then to dirty her hair in pursuit of worship is incredible. It is incredible. That is sacrificial worship to God. You know, I think we can get a bit caught up sometimes, distracted by thinking our worship is our singing. And you know, we can worship through singing. We absolutely can, and we, we declare truths and we, we sing praises. But can I be honest, church, that the only thing sacrificial about our sung worship is uh, the fact that we might get a bit out of breath. If the song's a bit fast, or if the song is weirdly pitched. Does that make anyone else go out of breath? Yep. Me too. The worship team 
they, they sacrifice and they give, they, 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 they learn their instruments and they, and they practice and they put so much time and effort and energy uh, into leading us in worship on a Sunday. But from us, from where we stand, it's not sacrificial worship. And that's okay, that doesn't make it bad. Don't, again, don't hear what I'm not saying. But, uh, but there is an element and a, and a need and an understanding of sacrificial worship. Sacrificial worship, the Bible points us to that. And it's one of the reasons, as Richard did say this time, that we give our tithes and offerings around worship, around the worship time, because giving financially isn't a functional thing. As Richard said, it's not just about saying, all oh, right, you know, guys, we need some new drumming leaflets printed, let's all chip in. That's not what our tithes and offering is. It's an act of sacrificial worship because it's uncomfortable to give, isn't it? It's uncomfortable to give. A tithe is our 10%. And it's uncomfortable to give 10%. I'd rather have the 10%. Can I be honest? I'd rather have the 10%. Be better off in my bank account. I could spend more money. I could go out to dinner more often. But the Bible calls us to sacrificial worship. Fortunately, it doesn't, give us, it doesn't call us all to give a year's salary. That'll be, that'll be really uh, tight, won't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So we see prophet, priest, and king in John 12, I believe. And the rest of John 12 shows us more of these three officers uh, as, as we go through. Uh, I'll just, uh, I'll just go, go through really, really briefly, really quickly. Very quickly, in fact. Uh, here we go. So, uh, so from verse uh, 12 to 19, we see this. We see the account of Palm Sunday, yeah? Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and he does so on a donkey. We might say, well, that's not very king-like, is it? Uh, kings don't ride donkeys. They ride uh, stallions and, and nice-looking horses, not donkeys. Uh, but this is fulfilling another prophecy uh, from the book of, uh, of Zechariah, because you see, it all weaves together. It's all part of the same thing. It's all penned by, uh, by one author. Did you know that? Uh, by the Holy Spirit. And, and so we see this, uh, this king entering into Jerusalem on this donkey just as it was foretold beforehand. The peoples are rejoicing. They're shouting for their king because at this point they still think he's going to lead a military conquest and victory over Rome. That's why they're still cheering. Uh, this is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. But John goes on. John goes on. Uh, Jesus is far more than the king of the Jews that they've been waiting for. <laughs> I find this really interesting. Did you read this bit in John 12, 19? So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The whole world. That's what the Pharisees say. That's what they're saying. That the whole world is going after him. Bit of hyperbole on the Pharisees part, uh, but it's actually still speaking a truth. That the whole world goes after Jesus. Not only Israel, but the whole world, that every knee will bow, as it says in Philippians 2. And John demonstrates this even further in the following verse, uh, when we read in John 20, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. Now the Greeks are here. Why are the Greeks here? Greek theology at this time uh, is kind of like, uh, like Hellenism, right, that we have today, if you know about that. It's, it's, it's polytheistic. There's gods for everything. They've all got their own little uh, department that they sort of oversee. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's difficult to, to, to keep track of. And the monotheistic theology of the Jewish people was attractive even to those outside of racial Judaism. Of, of, of the race of Judaism, it was attractive even beyond those borders. There were worshippers of Yahweh all over the place, 
all over the place. And, and, and they're brought into the story, and John mentions them specifically at this time to point out this fact that Jesus is not just the king of the Jews, but he's the king of the world. He is the king of the world, just as the prophecies that we've already read uh, foretold. And John draws attention to this fact right here. But the interesting thing is, did you notice this, that a few chapters ago in John chapter 6, the crowd tried to make Jesus king after he'd fed the 5,000, and he ran for the hills at that point. Did you you see that? Did you notice that? He he wanted to get out of there straight away, uh, the thought of them crowning him king. And now he's actively, actively going out of his way to cement and to show the fact that he is king. Why? Why? It's all about the timing of God. Who knows about the timing of God? Who's frustrated with the timing of God? We can be honest. Yeah? Frustrated with the timing of God? I want it to happen now in my, on my timeline by my... Yeah, I am. I am. By the timing of God. The timing of God is an entire sermon series. We'll do that. Let's write that down. <laughs> Jesus replied, the hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come. You know, the situations and and circumstances that are that that are in and around the church that that we know of, um, that we pray into um, uh, almost as a matter of course, as a matter of, of habit, and even sometimes even losing perhaps a faith that it will ever happen, but we're just praying for it anyway because it's now what we do. I just want to encourage you in this place that God has a, a, a time, a timeline that is separate to your timeline. God has a, uh, a way of doing things. I, I absolutely love, I think it was either Liv or Sam who preached a few weeks ago um, who said that, uh, that, that, we, that we tend to treat everything that we're involved with, everything that we do as an emergency. But it's not an emergency to God. Who was that? Does anyone remember? It was Sam. Good work, Sam. That everything, everything we do, everything that we have, all our situations, all our circumstances, from our perspective, they're an emergency. But God has has a timeline that's His that He keeps uh, that, that that He keeps that we are not privy to. And so, I just want to speak over this situation that perhaps you're representing. That the hour will come. The hour will come. If God has made a promise to you, the hour will come. Anyway, um, where were we? John 6. No, John 12. Uh, John 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Uh, so back in John 6, uh, there was still more to do. Um, and, uh, but this time now, we're on the home stretch. We're on the home stretch. This is Jesus last week on earth right? This is last week on earth. We've spent 12 chapters or 11 chapters looking at three years of Jesus' ministry. The remaining uh, nine chapters are, uh, are all speaking about Jesus' last week on earth. Why? Because Jesus is our priest, because he is atoning for our sin. And we see this even further in John 12. Now we might be uh, we might be asking questions about you know why is there sin? Why does sin have to be paid for? What are the mechanisms of atonement? And we've got all these questions, and you know I wish we could answer all these technical questions every week, but the reality is is that we can't. But Jesus explains for himself why he has to die. 
And he says this in John 24, 28, as Jesus the priest. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honour the one who serves me. Now, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. A seed must be planted for it to produce fruit, yeah? Can't just, can't just keep a seed on the counter uh, and expect it to do something. It needs to be planted. It needs to, be, uh, it, needs to, it needs to die. It needs to stop being a seed in order for it to be something else. And the death of this seed, if you like, the death of this seed brings about harvest and it brings about fruit. And the death of Jesus will bring about harvest. It brings about fruit. That is the salvation of humanity. The seeds that are produced by the death of the first seed are the salvation and the, uh, the, the, the salvations that are purchased for each one of us. Jesus is our high priest. He is the one who stands in the gap between humanity and God. And just as a high priest has done for generations, he atones for our sin. It's paid for. It's paid for. But that isn't where it ends. Jesus says that anyone who loves their life will lose it. And anyone who hates their life will keep it. See, if we live for this life, if we live for the desires of the flesh, we live and we love this, this earthly life, this ultimately, ultimately sinful life. If we live for this and we love this, ultimately we will lose life. But if we detest this life of sin if we die to sin daily as Paul calls us to in 1 Corinthians accepting that he is the one that atones for sin then we'll keep life into eternity here's the headline Jesus calls us to die to ourselves not literally Jesus calls us to die to ourselves because if we don't die to sin then we will die of sin Jesus calls us to the same death that he experiences. Not a physical one on a cross, but one of putting down earthly ways. The death and resurrection become our design for imitation. We're called to imitate Christ, aren't we? We're called to imitate Christ. And it's his death and resurrection that becomes the design for our imitation. And finally, we do see Jesus as prophet. In John 12, further down, Jesus shows us once again that he is the ultimate prophet, that he is the one that hears from the Father, that his words are the Father's words. Down in verse 44, then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I love that. 
You know, that uh, in the Old Testament and what, perhaps what we understand as a prophet uh, is that when we, when we hear from a prophet, we're hearing from God. And when we hear from Jesus, we're hearing from God, but there's more. Jesus says, the one who sees me is seeing the one who sent me. Not only do we hear from God when we hear from Jesus, but we see God when we see Jesus. Jesus' prophetship is, is much more uh, powerful than any prophets that we've seen previously in the Old Testament. Why? Because Jesus is God. Verse 49, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. Jesus speaks for God. Jesus speaks the words of God. And throughout our study in John, as we mentioned at the beginning, we're really addressing this question of who is uh, Jesus and John is one of the best books to read, uh, to start to read, uh, if you've never picked up a Bible before. Um, because uh, because it, it, it is not apolo- unapologetic. No, it is unapologetic about who it says that Jesus is. But even if you've been a Christian for, for many, many years, there are truths and, and fundamental uh, um, uh, aspects of our faith that are revealed in the book of John. Understanding who Jesus is, is so unbelievably important. Why? Because your life literally depends on it. But you know, I love the simplicity of the gospel as well. The gospel's simple, isn't it? Yeah? I think so. Let me put it into perspective for you. Back in the Old Testament, it was fairly complicated. There were priests, tribes, prophets, kings... Offerings, sacrifices, atonements, rituals, all sorts of stuff. Covenants, all sorts of stuff going on. It's complicated stuff. And it's not that all those things are gone, but it's that they're taken care of. See, now, instead of all of those things, we simply have Jesus, who takes care of all of those things on our behalf. And our faith in him and our faith in who he says he is and who the Bible says that he is allows us to share in this concept that he takes care of all of those things. And we maintain our faith in Jesus. We simply have Jesus and we simply need Jesus. Our prophet. Because how else would we hear from God? Our priest. Because how else would we be at one with God and our king because how else would we be led by God? This is who Jesus is and this is who I believe is revealed to us in John 12. Jesus, our prophet, priest and king. That's all for now. We pray that you heard something that brought life to you today so that you may go and be the person that God called you to be. God bless you.